Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Snape Chat, Voice of the Snape Dome, exploring the world of Snape in art, fic, meta, and more. This is Snape-centric. In this show, we celebrate Severus's birthday, starting with a bit of discussion in fic reading with Dan Puff and Megs. Then I talk with Groot Edomaiwich, author and illustrator of the amazing story, Happy Birthday. It covers five of Severus's birthdays, from age seven to 50, good days and bad. It has wonderful illustrations and is a must read. Enjoy the show. Okay, hi, this is Snape Centric. I'm here with Dan Puff. Hello. And Megs. Hi. And we're here to celebrate Snape's birthday. Yay! Yay! Yes. Uh, Another one of his least favorite days. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Probably true, but sad. Yeah, I know the poor guy. I just that's the thing. It's like hopefully we can make this a little bit, I don't know, a happier birthday than the poor broken tragic man. He just can't have anything good and we're here to give him all the good things that he needs. That's oh, right. Man. Mm-hmm. I for one love birthdays. I love any reason to celebrate and I especially love celebrating, you know, people. So birthdays are like my favorite. So yeah. I would annoy the heck out of him. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, Severus. Yes. And of course, to me, I just think of I have a couple friends who have birthdays right around Christmas. So of course, it's like, oh, you either feel like you've been robbed of a birthday because of all the Christmas things going on. So for him to have one so close after the holidays, of course, I'm going super angst already. But it's like if he has a <laughs> terrible <laughs> holiday, and then then he, most likely after that, his birthday goes forgotten. And like, it just <laughs> it's just all encompassing oh. like a, a bad time of year for him right in the height of like winter depression you know like all of that. Oh, yeah. I was gonna say winter, <laughs> cold probably cold. gray mm-hmm, mm-hmm. drab yeah. time of year yeah do we think he spent like holidays or so at school or did he go home like what do you think if it was up to him I don't know <laughs> I don't know that he would want to be at home at least yeah. during, you know, the canon time where it, it spinners end. I don't know that he would want to go back, especially thinking of we think about Christmas and birthdays with his family, like especially that time of year, not only being in that place, but in that time of year probably not the best time for him (laughs) yeah because I could see it either way like one going back because of his mom like if it's I have to be there for my mom or has some sort of emotional connection with mom and then maybe she does little things that to show that she remembers his birthday while he's home and things like that which could you know really sweet I know (laughs) Um. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure when they come back I know that they probably come back to school just before his birthday I'd imagine like they're what I for, was thinking. I think a couple they weeks, have like, like weeks. yeah, yeah, something like that. I've looked at whatever lexicon calendars and stuff in the past, and but you know, I'd only withhold so much information. Yeah, in right. you know what, though, I don't think he could afford the train fare from King's Cross to Cokeworth. Is that a depressing thought? Yeah, that's a thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Someone would have to come to him. So either A, his mom would have to feel comfortable to come pick him up. And then see the way that I see it. Oh, that's true. They could apparate. Though, see, the way I see it is up until obviously a certain point, because at some point in his time at Hogwarts, he and Lily have a fallout. I always headcanon the Evanses like taking them home. Oh, yes. Okay. Like once they become friends and start school together, they're aware of his situation and they are kind of like a one positive thing in regards to him. And he probably spends a lot of time there and things like that. But of course, when that's done, I mean, I could see that as him starting his journey of closing off and separating himself emotionally from things. So not wanting to go home regardless of his mom or you know, whatever. And so it's kind of that slippery slope of he's starting his grumpy journey of (laughs) his new future and whatnot. But I'm curious if he has, because of course we can consider the boys and whoever that he goes to school with. However, the circumstance, he's close to some people. So I'm sure that some of them do know that it's his birthday, whether they do something that's actually nice or something a little bit suspect like who knows but i'd like to imagine even the bad guys have a little bit of everyone has a little piece of heart there that i'd hope that they would do something for him like either in the dorm or common room or something like that which would be be really nice yeah i would hope so Yeah, so I just, I would like to hope that there'd be like little things. I could also see Lily still getting him gifts, like even after them parting ways. I could see her still doing small things because I just don't see her as somebody who could just completely write him off. Like obviously she had to be like, this is, you're putting yourself in a toxic environment that I cannot, I can no longer tolerate because it's affecting me negatively, which is very strong and very you know, mature of her to make that choice, because unfortunately for him, he doesn't have much of that, you know, ability to change things for himself. So I don't see why she wouldn't still think of him on that day. Like if you think about her, even at Christmas or something like that, like it would just... And then especially if she knows more about his situation and probably knows that he's not going to have a happy birthday or probably no one else is thinking of it. And I think they were so close for so long and it's not that it was one-sided like she cared about him too and they were close and she probably knew if not everything he was dealing with and at least enough of it to have that compassion to just even think about him even if she can't be there for him the way that she used to. And even her parents, like I've like, even if she told them it's like, oh, we're not friends anymore or whatever, they're not going to write him off either, especially if they have some sort of relationship. Like I could see them still sending him, you know, gifts at Hogwarts at Christmas or a birthday gift or things like that. So it's like little things that show him the affection in the darkness of everything that, you know, is happening moving forward and the people that he's around. Like, I'd like to hope that there were still some people, like nuggets of opportunity to get that little bit of affection and being seen as someone as like a person versus like a pawn or whatever once he starts getting in with the Death Eater crowd and stuff like that. And, but um, yeah, so I mean, then I'd hope, I hope that he gets something, even if he snuck it kind of like we talked in the holiday episode about how like he's especially as an adult like when he's grown up and he's just he's a grumpy older guy that's just that's just (laughs) the way it is and he would have a hard time I think 
receiving gifts and oh 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 here i go okay so what if the reason why he would hate birthdays holidays whatever is because it reminds him of lily and her parents and all those little things Uh, that they did before she died so all those years passed all the all those little positive things vanished because they don't exist anymore no what no one's there to like you know continue that little sense of you know whatever sorry i'm just I'm making things so angsty and sad <laughs> Thanks. Uh-huh. and actually on that note i was thinking of mentioning um little head canon type things because you know his friendship with lily is canon and we can yeah speculate on that but more into like fan and territory I do like thinking of him being having like a romance during his school years or even just a friendship with yeah black yes yes Snagula if we go into there like he still dies (laughs) yes I know oh my gosh that's another thing that fits in there is like that's another reason why he's that just adds on to his brokenness is the fact that his one probably didn't feel like as strong of a love as Lily because of for whatever level of reason but I'm sure he did have some sort of emotional connection like who knows if Regulus even told him you know what he was doing or he noticed that something was off with Regulus and all of a sudden he vanishes and like no one knows what happened to him like that's terrible like that's awful (laughs) like he's just he can't catch a break the poor the poor man I just I can't imagine him just being like you know what if they lived together and then he just never came home I mean I'm sorry why is this happening Okay. I think even if even if you don't want to imagine Regulus specifically, like he probably had friends in the death years, maybe not as close as Lily, maybe not quote unquote real friends, but you know, acquaintances, people he maybe got close to. And it's a war. He probably lost what people he he definitely lost what people he did have. So it could just really just be a whole mess and with all the trauma he's dealt with in his life I can just see that being you know holidays and birthdays being a special time for family and happiness and if he did have those good memories with the Evanses with Regulus with anyone around him and then they're gone and that one good thing is gone and then that time comes around each year and those people you cared about are gone and those few bright spots that were in your life are gone (laughs) yeah you'd rather just not think about it yeah that is why harry is his soulmate so that later in life it it heals everything for him and he's happy and has the perfect life and it's just 100 (laughs) or hermione maybe it's hermione it can be anybody (laughs) but someone's gotta come in and yeah, show him how Any to love. Like. <laughs> so obviously, I'm a snary girl, so that's why. Yeah, I'm is yeah, but yeah, ship and let ship. So whoever exactly, you yeah, like. whoever you think is going to be that, or even the like bro TP with McGonagall, if they have that really strong relationship in school, I'm sure she's aware and in tune to what oh. he could need you know what i mean so mm-hmm. i feel like she would even if it was literally showing up at his rooms with a bottle of like mead or fire whiskey and just like okay we're just gonna get drunk because I know, yes, like, right. just, you know what i mean <laughs> like if you're gonna feel like shit at least let's like feel silly and like shit at the same time 
So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I aside from relationship, I mean, like remote romantic relationships, like friendships are just as important. And I don't, as much as he might have respected Dumbledore, I don't see their relationship being anything other than obligatory. Like he might care about him to some degree because he has been working with him for so long and Dumbledore for the most part confides in him with some things and, you know, they have a, a special thing. But I'd like to think that he and somebody be that probably McGonagall just because they're both seen as probably the harsh teachers like you don't want to cross either of them and he's a little bit more snippy and like makes those snide comments where she just like stares at you like she just will stare <laughs> you down and, and everyone's just like oh crap so I would love to see them you know to have that because I feel like she would take it upon herself either you know either times just it probably comes from when we read what was it the the man who stole christmas and how she really wanted to do christmas and he kept saying no because of their relationship and well up until that point during normal school times maybe that was something they did together so for him to like snub it was all the more devastating for her and devastating for him because it was their time together so Jeez, uh, can we make something happy? What's a good thing that we could do? Meg, you're the one making it not happy. Oh. I'm sorry. This is this is who he is. You cannot get away from angst with Severus Snape. It is impossible. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. I'm just over here being really depressed. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, well, there, there is Lucius and Narcissa. Yeah. Yes. Actually, I really like, um, I know a lot of people talk about imagining Severus and Lucius being very close, but I like, I've seen it more recently this year in certain figs where Severus and Narcissa are really close. And I mm. think that is just so cute. Yeah. <laughs> I love the idea of yeah. them being really close and maybe just he's just really close with their family and I don't know it just makes my heart happy hoping that he has people in his life currently yeah Minerva or Narcissa and Lucius just someone and it's not it's not canon but like a a strong fanon is that like Snape is Draco's godfather so it's like obviously (laughs) he has like that strong presence in that that family so of course when draco comes to school like you can feel you know you you'd like can tell you're like there's favoritism there like you just it's there so i could feel him it's gonna make him feel probably significantly better having draco there and so probably like sixth year on top of dumbledore telling him or you know narcissa asking him to protect draco like i mean he regardless of what was going on with dumbledore i would like to think that he would have done it anyway just because he cares for draco and it's just that would be you know and then draco snubbing him all year like had to have sucked you know also because it's like hey you used to confide in me with you know anything or any problems or whatever because he could be professor snape during the day but then whatever uncle sev or (laughs) or whatever like in the afternoons or whenever draco needed somebody to unload on and so i'd hope that he'd have some sort of unseen unnoticed relationships even in an environment that he's obviously not ideally happy in so but uh okay so if we're thinking if we're wanting to steer away from the angst and into happy territory imagine severus's close friendship with the malfoys 
Draco's godfather. So Draco goes up, grows up, you know, celebrating Uncle Sev's birthday. And then he's at school and like, imagine like his birthday comes around and then Draco just like popping into his office being like, happy birthday. Yeah. It's not much, but it's just this moment of his godson just yeah. remembering and taking the time out of his day Aww. to just pop in and like mm-hmm. acknowledge it. Yeah. So even if he doesn't come bearing gifts or anything, just that acknowledgement from someone he cares about, like without his parents there to tell him, like Draco just remembering like, oh, it's Uncle Steph's birthday. Let me go say something. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I could see like Narcissa probably sending something to, you know, be that either like Mm -hmm. a letter or a little something to and... Yeah, I'd love I'd love for him to have a significant relationship with them. I just think that that's just so so sweet. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we're not staring to where that could go dark. So. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> it's a happy that's birthday. Where my is. I am holding back, holding back. I could do this it's a happy unless we want to be birthday. sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Angsty birthday, Severus. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Angsty <laughs> birthday. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to think that maybe, okay, so back when they met, I don't know, like how old were they when Lily and Severus met? Nine or 10? Like it was obviously before school, but I think they were nine. Nine. So That's like they were I've friends heard. for a couple years before, you know, going to school. And I just, you know, I'd like to think that maybe her parents did like a little surprise party like oh invite Severus over and then you know he comes over and he just doesn't know how to handle the fact that someone would make him a cake or give him little things and you know I just think that that would be so it would be so sweet I just that would be so so nice yeah yeah so, I mean, I hope that he has those, just those people. We don't see him because he doesn't, he isn't vulnerable with anybody. So he's not going to own up to the fact that anyone gives him a, like, influence him in a positive light for the most part. But yeah, I think that especially when you're a child, like, to have positive experiences are more meaningful than as, you know, as adults. So I would like to think as if the Evanses were as kind as I hope they would be, that they would do something like that for him and maybe regularly. And that would just be, I don't know. And sometimes, what is it? Um, I think I've read in fic where even if, even though things happen, you know, like Lily and Severus went their separate ways, she didn't tell her parents that. So like maybe they still did something special for his birthday or, you know, things like that, not knowing. So it was like an opportunity for for a day remembering the good times together. So that would be really sweet. Mm, yes. <laughs> angst adjacent Mm. but also sweet (laughs) (laughs) Uh, this would be his 62nd birthday yes which yes is is still middle-aged um particularly if you're a wizard (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's a that's a youngin (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah he's just in the prime of enjoying the rest of his life definitely yeah 
and like when he lives because he does like i want him to like write potions texts like that's what he should have been doing that whole time is like writing even books of spells or whatever eventually at hogwarts they're going to be using such and such by severus snape like that just has to be you know yes, the way it is right. which is you know <laughs> awesome so oh my God. potential for a little bit of fame he never asked for but then realized that he actually kind of likes because he never got any attention when he was younger so to have positive however kind of similarly that harry when he was younger it's like oh i hate the attention and and then all of a sudden snape's like you know what <laughs> <laughs> not, not so bad when there's no one else to like give you you know the that sort of attention regardless of what it means and yeah and then there's also snockhart getting a little cracky like if they were together <laughs> what if he's traveling and doing things with his boyfriend who's also a published writer if say the memory thing didn't happen or whatnot and <laughs> what if they're writer like writer couple and they just go around and it's just i don't know that was random not birthday related but hey you know what's cute? You know what's cute is if Severus is writing like all of these like intellectual academic texts and Lockhart's writing things like Ooh, romance novels. Yes. Yeah. Like fiction. Yes. Yes. That would be cute. Oh, goodness. And of course, now I'm picturing him changing names, but obviously using their relationship as inspiration and Severus just being so mortified and angry yes. about it. But also, <laughs> like, I see him enjoying, like, he's ha living his best life and I don't want to shatter his dreams, but also, oh my gosh, like, what? <laughs> like, I can't. <laughs> oh, the bodice reverse. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, so obviously Lockhart would throw some sort of huge party because he's extra. So he would definitely have some sort of inviting people that Severus never met before to do this big whole thing that he would just hate slash actually not hate, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> so yeah, there's so much possibility as far as him and, you know, future relationships. I think that's the biggest thing is he needs, he just, he does need others to help him enjoy something like he just he doesn't know how to do it for himself so it's like it's it's something he has to learn that he didn't get to learn for very long so later in life could totally have those sort of things especially when he lives and everyone knows he's a hero and did all these things and you know and then and, and snape and harry are together and they're living their hero lives and like <laughs> <laughs> So I think post-war, live it like Snape lives, there's a lot of potential for him to have the happiness and all those meaningful things that he deserved to have before, but it wasn't his life to live during that time. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, to finally not be beholden to anyone would be so wonderful. In addition, yeah, to having someone teach him how to have joy. Do we want to read some fic now? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that. <laughs> We have some fix to read and then we'll talk about them, starting with Meg's. Yay! Okay, so very interesting title. It's <laughs> Happy Birthday, Sev! <laughs> 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 by me jerry quite contrary green megs no ham um it's rated what is it like teen and up and i'm not sure as far as i think it might be on the you know edge of like underage i think harry's 16 but depending on who you are and whatever like it's rated t but you know nothing it's still teacher student relationship which you know i love so that's <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, we're here for it. All right. So the summary is, let me see if there's any taggies. No, that was it. Just teacher-student relationships, probably the only one. Summary. Harry's Christmas gift had engraved him. I don't even know what I what I spelled wrong. Harry's <laughs> Christmas gift. <laughs> what, what did I mean to say in this summary? Well, this is embarrassing. What the hell was <laughs> Had, I don't even know what I was saying. How could a birthday gift result in anything else? Enraged him. Had enraged him? Maybe, Maybe. that. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know. Harry's Christmas gift. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, there's a summary and it makes no sense. So I'm going to move on. <laughs> there is a summary. There is a summary. Um, I will obviously take take a moment and go back and rewrite it later. <laughs> at a later time. <laughs> Someone was at the door. Severus let out a huff of annoyance, clambering from his chair, slamming his book on the table. Albus, I, he bellowed, cut short at the sight of the internally disheveled raven-haired boy. Robes discarded, he wore his school tie loose, his shirt untucked. Merlin, help me. Barely a week into term after the Christmas holidays and Potter must seek him out, in his private quarters no less. Severus wished he could have found it as a shock, but he knew better. Potter wasn't easily sent away, like an insistent gnat circling one's head, buzzing in your ear, annoying, persistent. Had anything he ever said, yelled, or even screamed deterred him in the least? Um, hello, sir. Harry stepped forward in, in request to enter. He would never ask, knowing full well Severus would say no. Severus did not budge. Harry stood there, refusing to meet Severus's stern gaze, nervously raking his fingers into his messy hair. This did pique Severus's interest. The boy, consistently cocky and excruciatingly bold, now apprehensive, he bit back a smile. Severus's words must have sunk in, thank Merlin. He hadn't been kind. It was unavoidable. The months of ignoring the boy did not deter him in the least. It only seemed to encourage Harry further toward cracking Severus's emotional wards. The day before the Christmas holidays, however, Harry had finally succeeded. There had been a crack. One Severus had blatantly ignored. One he did not know existed until that very moment. The moment that changed everything. He'd been grading exams in in his office, minding his own damn business. Idiotic of him to have left his office door unlocked. Harry stormed in like a whirlwind, barely a moment for Severus to react. Then Harry was at his side, panting. He grabbed Severus's wrist and he dropped his quill. Merry Christmas, Professor, he whispered across the skin of his wrist, bringing it slowly up to his mouth, kissing it gently. Severus froze in shock. He felt the walls shatter, leaving him bare. Harry had taken his silence for acknowledgement, encouragement to continue. As soon as Harry lifted a hand towards Severus's cheek, Severus grasped his wrist firmly in his free hand, yanking the wrist from the boy's yanking his wrist from the boy's grip. His fury had enveloped him, enveloped him whole as he shouted at the boy. It wasn't Harry's fault, he knew it. It was his own irrational, internal loathing and anger that spilled from his lips. Not for Harry, but for himself. Hateful, shameful words. So cruel. He'd taken it too far. Anything to put a stop to the madness boiling inside him when Harry was near. Apparently, it hadn't been enough. Here they were, two weeks later, Harry standing before him like it never happened. Severus grasped the, the door firmly, taking slow, deep breaths. Hear him out, then send him off. What is it, Potter? He sneered. Harry lifted his gaze, catching his eye before turning away again. Have a nice Christmas. Severus gave him a pointed stare. Sensational. 
Another year, another night reading in his study, ignoring Albus's insistent fire calls to drag him to the Christmas Eve feast. Socializing in intimate proximity to other teachers and, un and an unfortunate collection of snotty-nosed brats? Absolutely not. He'd been one of those snotty-nosed brats. He'd chosen it, of course. An empty common room, vacant library, and a, however limited, reprieve from the incessant annoyance of a select group of arrogant Gryffindors. Harry stepped around him and into his drawing room. Severus grasped the boy's arm, intending to cast him out once more. Then Harry looked at Severus with eyes he never wanted to see again. Eyes that looked up at him as if he was truly seen. I wish I'd stayed this year. Almost a whisper. Severus released him quickly, turning to shut the door. Anything to avoid those eyes. Severus would pool at, would pool at Harry's feet. I'm sure surrounding yourself with an adoring family was excruciating, he scoffed, turning away from Harry to return to his chair. He picked up his book, determined to avoid as much interaction with the boy as possible. Casting the boy a quick glance, Severus instantly regretted it. Harry's expression shifted into, into the determined smirk Severus knew so well. You didn't like my Christmas gift. Liked it. No, he had not liked it. The ghost of that kiss still burning his skin, unseen yet more unbearable than the dark mark. He had loved it, which was exactly why Harry should not be here. Never be here. I thought of something better for your birthday. How did you... Harry loosened his tie further, removing it from his neck. Severus swallowed hard. Potter, cease this nonsense. Leave here now. No thanks, he said, rolling up his sleeves. Severus let out, let out a deep breath of relief. It was premature. Harry walked up to him, placing a hand on his book, prying it from his fingers. He set the book on the end table as he leaned over Severus. I'm warning you, Potter. Come any closer and I will curse you to next Christmas. Harry just laughed. You won't, though. He wouldn't. Not Potter. Never Potter. He was insane. Why couldn't he move? He should be pushing the boy away, shoving his ass out the door. But he didn't. The wall had turned to rubble. With one kiss, the rubble vanished completely. His kiss was chaste and soft, though Severus could feel the desire coursing through the boy's veins, eager to take things further, but, but afraid of Severus's reaction because he always reacted so well. Harry broke the kiss, searching Severus's face, before slowly climbing into the man's lap. Severus did not resist. In fact, he pulled Harry to him. He wasn't sure what drove him to do it, but Merlin, the feel of him. Harry smiled against his lips before pulling away, cold air tickling Severus's wet lips at the loss of warmth. Happy birthday, Sev. Happy birthday, indeed. The best gift he had ever received. The end. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. That's cute. Yeah. I like how it had the whole Christmas bits too, like talking about how close they are together and mm -hmm. and he knows it's his birthday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always love Harry being a nuisance. Mm-hmm. Bold Harry and Snape just freezing. Like it's either <laughs> yeah. freak out or like, say oh, nothing. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Freaking out isn't doing anything, so whatever. But, but can't yeah. resist in yeah. the end. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd like I'd like to think Harry was okay. If I just look absolutely ridiculous, just I'll untuck my shirt, I'll loosen my tie, and I'll just show up in front of his door. It's like he's not gonna be able to send me out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah. Good plan. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. I'm like, oh, there you go, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you both have read a lot of Snary, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does Sev ever take the lead? Um, yeah. 
Yeah, but it's definitely less common. Yeah, not uh-huh. often. <laughs> yeah, it's sure. it's normally Severus denying feelings. Like it's always denial of feelings. So it's like yeah. it might be him finally realizing and accepting them and then surprising Harry when he might do something, but it never is like him pursuing Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of denial him. and then also like insecurity where yep. even if he yes. acknowledges those yep. feelings it's very okay oh well he would yeah. never return them kind of thing uh-huh. yeah i think when it comes to severus leading it's more it's less affection and more like his anger toward james and things like that that it's like he go- he's going for harry like in not a you know affectionate mm-hmm. sort of way like so it's just that's a different sort of obviously relationship uh-huh. and fic or whatever but when it comes sure. to it being more meaningful and romantic and things like that it's like harry has to convince him that harry isn't his father and you know has some of mm-hmm. his mother and that he's someone that could be right for him so yeah it's definitely a lot of that denial of self self okay. yeah self-deprecation like i'm not worthy you know of anything especially from the boy who's loved by everybody like why would he <laughs> look at me the like old ugly teacher you know what i mean like that's right. pretty much how how it is when snary's concerned mm-hmm. okay huh well this was nice and yes moving on to snooping right Snoopin. I'm yes. excited. I'm new to Snoopin and I didn't <laughs> think that I would like Snoopin and I do like Snoopin, but oh. I realized I like Severus with everybody. So that's just kind of <laughs> equal opportunity shipper. As, exactly. Exactly. As long as he's happy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Biggest thing. Okay. This is faint silver lining of my life by my chain. It's rated G and the summary is Three times Severus woke up to something good on his birthday. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> so January 9th, 1978. There's a small parcel at the side of his bed when he woke up. Severus knew without sitting up to look closely at it that it was from Lily. It was her favorite wrapping paper, the one with the cauldrons, her red-green signature ribbon. It could be left over from Christmas. Come on. Her neat wand work had gotten the edges just right. Lily, who remembered what day it was today and had thought to get him something, even though she hadn't spoken to him, and what felt like a year. He'd been convinced till just this moment that she hated him. Dolhoff stirred in the bed next to him. Despite himself, Severus' hands were itching to rip the paper off right away. But he knew it was more prudent to employ a concealment charm for now. This way, at least, he'd have something to look forward to on the first birthday with no word from his mom. Breakfast brought with it unwanted congratulations from Professor Dumbledore, but also further good news. Lucius had sent him a letter that read, now that your time at Hogwarts is coming to an end and you've spent a year proving yourself as an adult, it is felt in certain circles that Easter would be an opportune time for your introduction. As alas, it is not possible for you to leave school grounds today. All through History of Magic, he drafted and rewrote his reply. A meeting, finally. It was a great honor he'd be then hoping to merit for months, but his mind kept drifting back to where Lily's present lay concealed. Throughout lunch, Lupin of all people was the only Gryffindor looking at the Slytherin table. The blasted werewolf was looking between Severus and Lily while Potter, Black, and Pettigrew were hogging all her attention. Such life on her face. Had the gift even really come from her at all? 
That evening, he made his way to the Owlery with the presents stuffed into his pocket. Real or mockery, he was best served to be in a private place when opening it. The second his affirmation to Lucius took off the ground, the tiny parcel let out a heart-piercing wail and vanished in a puff of smoke. It took a hand stuffed in his mouth and 30 deep breaths through his nose, but Severus managed not to cry. January 9th, 1997. He didn't know how, but they all found its way to the dungeon. Severus padded over the cold's floor on bare feet and picked out the near-fresh brain of a mouse from his private potions ingredients. It hooded appreciatively and stood still as Severus wandlessly unscrapped the shipment from its claws. I need those for him, he said when it picked the treat out of his fingers, and then I had a closed cupboard. They all didn't seem to care one bit about the needs of wizards. No, he said sharply, but it merely cocked its head as if to question how much he valued his fingers. There are no students to see me, he thought. With a sigh, he, he selected a few, in the eyes of the owl, he presumed, delicious-looking tails. There, now away with you. With a look of derision, he could never hope to come close to himself, regardless of how hard he tried. It spread his wings and took off. There was no note accompanying the jar of marmalade. None was necessary. There would be nettles in it, Severus knew, as well as tamped striped maple bark and a single minced leaf of a devil's snare, and possibly even the tiniest trace of peppermint. He had been so very skeptical the first time he'd had it on scones. Scones. Narcissa had always been embarrassed by all the time her mother-in-law spent in her garden. Draco had been unable to hide his devastation, but Lucius had only given a timely shake of disgust when she had gotten herself killed by her favorite plant. Severus had always loved the nuances the old woman could bring out of oranges. It had been his secret highlight during visits to Malfoy Manor. Of course, Narcissa had noticed. The two ounces were gratitude for the vow he'd made, a thoughtful one that Severus would savor. They were also a reminder. January 9th, 2003. There was somebody in his bed. Severus fought the instinct to go rigid. It wouldn't do to alert whoever had invaded his space that he was awake. If he was about to be attacked, all his words had failed, and it was already too late to reach for his wand. He batted hard against the cobwebs of a dream clinging to his mind. Nobody ought to be out to get him in his sleep. The war, both wars, had been over for some time, hadn't they? There were two somebodies in his bed, Severus concluded after he'd had some time to breathe and listen. One of them was Remus, which was all well and good. That was as it had been yesterday morning, and as it would hopefully be for a good many mornings to come. It was the other presence that the intruder shifted. A small hand was flung in Severus's face. Oh. Carefully, he lifted himself up from the mattress and prodded Teddy's arm to a less dangerous location. The boy and the grown man were both dead to the world. A glance at the window revealed that it was at least an hour yet till dawn, far too early to begin thinking about breakfast. Severus lay back down and closed his eyes. He was too awake now to resume the dream he'd had. Some nonsense about a lake and a broom, but reality was more pleasant in any case. There was no war. There were no classes that he had to teach. Their guests were not expected before the afternoon. Unless he had tried too hard, he might be able to drift in and out of sleep to the soft snores of his werewolf and his son. The end. Ah! So, 
Oh, man. Oh, that was, oh, I love how that last day was written because, of course, it's like him coming out of that fight or flight, like of him just immediately waking up and being like, someone's here. Like, I'm sure he could be that way every day, if you think about it. Regardless, it could have been the first day or 20 years from now. Like, I could see him waking up and it just being that instantaneous, just being surprised that someone was there. And then for Teddy to be there with them Aww. for whatever reason is just like oh that's mm -hmm. so cute that of course the you know he would come and climb into bed with them and oh that just warms <laughs> my heart so much that's sweet and oh three he'd be I mean, five or almost five. Oh yes little boy yes. yeah mm -hmm. so cute and i like yeah. what was it just how like reality was better than a dream anyway mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. cute yeah, I really like this second one as well. Mm -hmm. Just the description of the marmalade and all the different ingredients and, and the obligation that it signified as well. Good story. Yeah. And then highlighting different relationships was also cute, like a reminder of his and Lily's friendship and then right. and with the Malfoys and then mm -hmm. ending with his happily ever after after the war. Very good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Next is... I believe, a full English by Ms. Adams. Okay, so we have a full English by Ms. Adams, and it's rated mature, and this is a Hermione slash Severus, and it's an established relationship. The summary is, there on the counter was a small white box with a red ribbon with a bow wrapped around it. Dressed in only his sleep trousers, Severus closed his eyes and sighed. Ignoring the package, he filled the electric kettle and put it back on its stand and flipped down the switch to start the water boiling. Oh, and then it just says, I guess it's like kind of warning. There is no actual smut in this piece, but it, the possibility is discussed. <laughs> there on the counter was a small white box with a red ribbon tied with a bow wrapped around it. Dressed only in his sleep trousers, Severus closed his eyes and sighed. Ignoring the package, he filled the electric kettle and put it back on its stand and flipped down the switch to start the water boiling. He turned his back to the kitchen counter and moved to the refrigerator to pull out the milk, some eggs, sausages, and a brown paper bag. He placed everything back on the counter and moved towards the cooker when a soft step in the doorway drew his attention. Hermione stood there wearing one of his large green jumpers and, and very little else. She rubbed one eye sleepily and shifted her weight on one of her bare feet. Severus, what are you doing? I was going to make you breakfast today, she mumbled and pulled her hand from her face. The cuff of the sleeve fell down over her hand. Go back to bed, witch. <laughs> I'll be... Go back to bed, witch. I'll bring you some food when I've finished making it. Severus nodded toward the bedroom. The kettle reached its boil and switched off. No, Severus, it's your birthday. Let me treat you. Go back to bed and relax. She purposefully walked toward the kettle and pulled out two mugs from the shelf above it. Oh, what's this? She asked, picking up the white box. Don't play coy with me. You know very well what it is, Hermione. Severus growled and turned the gas on the hob. I very well don't, Severus, she said and turned and put her hands on her hips. Severus ignored her and put a half dozen sausages into the pan. He pulled a wooden spoon from the jar beside the hob and moved the sausages 
a little in the pan. Hermione huffed and returned to making the tea. She went to the fridge and bent down to get the milk, and Severus turned and looked over his shoulder. There was a flash of scarlet satin under the hem of the shirt that had a ribbon up over the curve of her buttocks. Quite a display there, little Miss Innocent. Severus snapped and looked back at the sausages in the pan. Hermione twisted her mouth in a frown and walked back to the counter. She poured the milk into one cup and added sugar to both. She then returned the milk to the fridge, though this time she squatted down instead of bending from the waist. When she returned to the counter, she placed the cup with the milk and sugar beside the hob, then jumped up and sat on the counter. She held her cup in two hands and breathed in the steam. So why are you in such a mood, Severus? Hermione asked. Severus's shoulders tightened, and he pushed the sausages a little harder in the pan. I'm not in a mood. Yes, you are, dear. Hermione sipped her tea. Severus sighed, put his spoon down, and picked up his tea. He took a long swallow and then reached over Hermione to lift the white box. I told you no presents. He put the box into her lap and glared at her. I made it an explicit order, which... One which I obeyed, sir, Hermione said levelly. I didn't even buy new knickers for you. I'm wearing the pair I got last year. She put down her mug and held up the box. I have no clue what this is or where it came from. I find that unlikely. Severus returned to the sausages and grumbled. Bollocks, they split. Hermione giggled and turned the box round in her hand. There's a tag on the box, Severus. Shall I read it to you? Fine, whatever, he said as he moved the pan off the heat and opened the, up the paper bag. He pulled a handful of mushrooms out of it and diced them up. It says, Happy birthday, Professor. Love the Potter family. Hermione, this is more for you than him. Ginny must have written this. The handwriting is so tiny. She squinted at the side of the box. She then put the box down. See, it wasn't me. I was just planning on bringing you breakfast in bed and then giving you a lazy blowjob after you ate. <laughs> then I was going to do the washing while I left you with a book. But you got up before me and changed the plans. Severus snorted, cut a tomato in half, and then put it in the put the frying pan back on the gas. He added the mushrooms and the tomatoes to the pan and cracked four eggs into it. It still amazes me that you can do a full English in that single pan. I usually have to use two and grill the sausages in the oven. Hermione crossed her legs at the ankle and swung them a little. Which is why I'm making breakfast today. I didn't want to waste my day washing dishes. I was going to do them, Hermione protested. That's right, after the proposed lazy blowjob. Exactly. Severus plated the two portions of breakfast and placed them on the kitchen table. He put his tea down beside one of the plates and moved in front of Hermione, who was still looking at the white box in her hands. Open it, he said. Hermione obeyed and pulled the red ribbon off the box. She smiled at the ribbon and quickly threaded it through her hair, using it to pull her curls away from her face. She tightened the bow and picked up the box again. Severus tilted his head a little at her antics but waited for her to open the white box. She found the lip of the box and pried it open and looked down. It's a mug, she said, and held out the box to him. Why did the potters get me a mug? I have no idea. I told them you wanted nothing for your birthday. She lifted the box gently, showing that he should take the mug out of the box. Severus dutifully lifted the black mug out of the box and turned it in his hands to read the text written on it. Kiss the potions, master. <laughs> Don't mind if I do, Hermione said and pulled him forward. She draped her arms over his bare shoulders and pulled him closer with her legs so she could comfortably cross her ankles and rest them on the top of his waist. She tilted 
her head a little and whispered, Happy birthday, Potions Master. Severus closed his eyes and met her lips with a soft, sweet kiss. He put the mug down behind Hermione and lifted her off the counter. His hands gripped his hands gripped her through the satin of her knickers, and he carried her over, over to the kitchen table. He broke the kiss and lowered her to the floor. Eat your breakfast, witch, and be quick about it. You promised me a lazy blowjob. Hermione bounced a little on her bare feet. Yes, sir. She gave a little twirl and sat down in her seat. Severus fetched her tea and placed it beside her plate. He placed the new mug beside his own, his own space, and poured the tea from the older mug into his new gift before sitting down to eat his own breakfast. The end. Cute. Yeah. I love that mug. <laughs> I know. Mm-hmm. Kiss the potions faster. <laughs> like kiss the chef, but kiss the yeah. faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so cute. Actually, it would be uh, now. I think he needs an apron. Like that would be that yes. would be super cute. He's kiss, oh, kiss the yes. master because of course, brewing, brewing and cooking. It's all related. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I like how he uses the new mug too. Mm-hmm. Goes out of his way to pour his tea into the new mug. Mm-hmm. And I could just see Hermione sitting there smirking into her tea, being like, "I see you. You're actually really happy you got a gift." That's Mm-hmm. so so sweet <laughs> nice little slice Dang. of life post-war happy severus that's exactly mm-hmm. what we want <laughs> exactly <laughs> yes <laughs> okay so dan puff you have um a story for us yes it's um yes. as of recording it's not posted yet i'm going to actually post it on his actual birthday so <gasps> fun (laughs) yeah it's part of a series i have called domestic fluff snary style i have one that's their anniversary which is 16 july 2020 and i have one for harry's birthday which is 31 july 2020 and now this one is 9 january 2022 by me dan puff and it's rated t In their early years together, the time Severus took unwrapping Christmas and birthday gifts drove Harry spare. Gift paper is meant to be torn to shreds and tossed aside, not carefully pried away then folded neatly. Harry had also been eager and terrified to see Severus's reaction to his gifts. Over their many years together, Harry has learned several important things. The first is to appreciate the care Severus takes. Severus does have nice hands after all. They move with such grace and precision, even when pulling apart paper, and he holds each treasure with both confidence and care. The second is that Severus cares more about cards than objects. He spends entirely too long reading them, or so Harry once thought. Now he eagerly watches Severus roll his eyes at his birthday card from Draco and Ron, snort at the one from Narcissa, hum thoughtfully at the one from Hermione and Jenny. His face is carefully neutral at the ones from Molly and Hagrid, so Harry assumes they're very good. Harry receives an unimpressed look in response to his own card. Harry grins. There was a time when Severus mocked these cards, and Harry nearly hexed his eyebrows off. Sure, his drawing skills are little better than his poetry skills, but he tried. Harry resolved to stop making them until he found the stash of cards hidden in Severus's bedside drawer. Being in love with Severus has never been easy, but it's always been worthwhile for Harry to stick around to figure him out. Money is not important to Severus, nor are things. They may have been once, but in his life, Severus has learned to value time and thought, which is the third thing Harry learned. The effort he puts into his card, however awful it might be, matters more than galleons spent. Not to mention the fourth thing being that Severus is very hard to shop for. 
What material goods he does desire, he purchases for himself, and anything of utmost interest to Severus is usually beyond Harry's scope of interest or knowledge. How is he meant to know what potions equipment is best, or what books Severus might like, but doesn't know exist? Blind luck saves him some years, but others, well, other years he has his shoddily crafted cards to save the day. Harry doesn't take it personally when the Ballet Castle Bats t-shirt earns him a lifted brow. It's an ongoing joke that if Severus did care for Quidditch, the Bats would be his team, and he has accrued a great number of Bats merchandise over the years for this reason. Harry secretly thinks he does root for them now, even if he hadn't 20 years ago. The second gift from Harry earns a confused frown, and Harry can't help but sink down in his chair as his face and neck heat. Severus turns the bundle of cloth over in his hands. A scarf, Harry mumbles in explanation, as two smaller objects fall to the floor. More socks? Severus asks when he scoops them up. Early Jan January is mightily cold, and on Severus's slender feet are the misshapen green socks Harry knitted him for Christmas. Harry sighs heavily and rubs his face. Mittens. Ah, says Severus, and his mouth twitches. They're not even the same shade of green, Harry now notices. Molly tried to point this out to him while teaching him to knit, but Harry hadn't thought it mattered. Green is green, only now that he sees them all together. The jade green beside the emerald green. He still isn't sure which is which, mind, but at least he can tell them apart now. Do I at least get points for effort? Harry asks. Severus takes great pleasure and amusement in telling him no. The fifth thing Harry learned, and this was a tricky one, was the art of frivolity. Severus will never admit to liking childish things, and Harry could admit he only employed them in the early years to tease Severus. Now, when Harry inflates two balloons, one gold star, one silver crescent moon, and ties them to Severus's chair, he knows that Severus enjoys the attention, even if he rolls his eyes. It isn't as if Harry or Severus had balloons growing up. Once the balloons are in place, Harry leans in to kiss Severus's cheek, only for Severus to turn at the last second to capture his lips instead. Harry makes a startled but pleased sound in response, and, well, it's Severus. Severus, still warm and soft with sleep, bundled up in many thick layers. Severus, whose lips are so familiar and beloved, and however often Harry tastes them will never be enough. Harry slips into Severus's lap without further thought. I would like my cake sometime today, Severus teases between kisses. Mm-hmm, Harry replies distractedly as he tugs at Severus's jumper. The sixth thing Harry learned was the importance of tradition. Sex before cake, somehow, became a tradition. When Harry was younger and their relationship newer, it made sense. But the spark never died, and now, though sex is never a scheduled portion of their festivities, it always seems to happen. Not that Harry complains. He whistles quite happily as he shuffles into the kitchen. He loads up a tray with the spice cake he baked early that morning, as well as a cup of black coffee for Severus and milky tea for himself. He brings it all back to the dining room where Severus has righted his clothes, but not his must silver hair. Harry sets the tray down and reaches out to run his fingers through the soft strands. It was his fingers, after all, that created the mess, and it's only right that he fix it. Catching that his hair must have been wild, Severus narrows his eyes at Harry and bats his hand away, then combs his own fingers through his hair. They have more traditions than sex, so Harry sits, sits down and sets about finishing the cake. Harry grins at Severus and holds up a pack of glittery pink candles he's chosen. Severus huffs but says nothing as Harry loads the cake down with 62 pink candles. Then, one by one, he lights them. Just as Eileen did for Severus when he was a child. 
just as Severus has done for Severus every year they've been together. Severus does the same for Harry's birthdays, but Harry is much less meticulous in his lighting of the candles. He lights each as quickly as possible, then sweeps back through to catch those he's missed. He times himself mentally and raises his arms in victory when he is done. Yes, good boy, excellent work, Severus says. Shut it and make a wish, Harry retorts. Blowing out 62 candles is no feat, so Harry leans in and to help finish the job. Harry tries for a kiss after, only to be offered Severus's cheek instead. Harry laughs, but agreeably kisses his husband's cheek. Severus smirks as he settles back in his chair. What did you wish for? Harry asks. Peace and quiet, Severus grumbles. Oh, that's too bad, Harry grins. Now that you've told me, it won't come true. Severus's eyes flutter heavenward and Harry bites back another laugh. Oh no, Severus remarks dryly. Whatever shall I do? Learn to enjoy the chaos. I fear I am an optimist, dear heart. It is a familiar exchange, words they've parried before over the years, and they fit like a well-worn glove. Harry settles in contentedly and helps Severus remove the candles from his now holy cake. Then he cuts the first slice for Severus while Severus sips his coffee. Shiny black wrapping paper sits neatly folded on the table. Gold and silver balloons bob over Severus's head. A stack of sparkly pink candles. Warm, moist spice cake. A cold, snowy day. Silliness and tradition. And love. A warm glow in Severus's dark eyes. Even as Severus mocks the cake and the mittens and the childish decorations, Harry listens to his eyes not his words, and he smiles. The seventh thing Harry learned is that, above all, Severus wants time and love more than cake and gifts. Severus's real present is, as it is every year, a day trip to London for food and theater and exploration. Before they leave, Severus carefully tucks away his cards. He dons his Ballet Castle Bats t-shirt when he thinks Harry isn't looking, with his newest Weasley sweater over top and a black woolen coat from Hermione. His misshapen socks are hidden by his black boots and the misshapen scarf by his coat, but nothing hides the mittens except for his pockets. As they head out, Harry opens the door for Severus, who scowls at him, and Harry laughs merrily and loops his arm through Severus's after he locks the door. They trek through the snow towards the anti-apparition wards, and Harry looks down at Severus's hidden hands. Are you going to use your hands at all today? Unlikely. I work very hard on those mittens, I'll have you know. They bicker all the way past the gate and continue, even as they apparate, arm in arm, to London. The end. Oh, It's very nice. I, I like how he's still, he's still his uh, irascible self. Yes. <laughs> he must <laughs> always be that. And of course, the most important thing to him would be person, you know, would be quality time. I mean, that's what that's what he needs. He never really got that, and so that's wonderful. Yeah, and I think after all his time and all of his experiences, even if you know he once upon a time might have wished for other things, he's come to learn and appreciate what really matters, and it's that the time spent with the people he loves. <laughs> I went. Severus saving his birthday cards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this little sentimental streak that he hides. Yes, he hides it well, but not well enough for Harry. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. I just love the idea of Harry, like, putting in that effort to, like, drawing his cards and, like, writing him little poems and being made fun of because Severus can't react well, especially to things that really matter. 
One of my favorite things has to be all the bats merch. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm sorry. I was like trying to hold back. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, that's just, I can only, I can picture the stuff everywhere and like the snickering from Harry's point of view and the grimace from Severus. And it's like, eventually we're pretty sure he, you know, we're pretty sure he is all about the bats now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After all this time, they've warmed up on him. Oh, uh, yeah. No, it's so, it's so And cute. I've looked into, like, I read the um, Quidditch Through the Ages book, and I think they're the team that their uniform is black, and they have, like, a red bat on them. And I'm like, oh, well, they would get him that because it's black, but then it also happens mm-hmm. to be the bats, which is just extra mm-hmm. funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Love, love, love. Okay. That was very sweet. I loved yeah. it. And I love your side ships. Like every time I hear like Hermione and Ginny or like, I mean, I'm just like, oh, then it's Draco and Ron. I'm like, absolutely. Like, of course. Like, I'm glad. <laughs> I do love sneaking in the extra ships when I can. Yeah. It's so nice just to show that it's like, even though things were going some sort of way, everyone's happy with who they were meant to be with. And it's different. <laughs> Very sweet. Well, lots of lovely, I mean, pretty much. I'd say positive birthday experiences for mm-hmm. him all around. As it so should, yeah. <laughs> there we go. I think we I think we crossed out all my angst from early. We have redeemed the angst. Uh-huh. Oh good. Yeah. Redemption. Mm-hmm. Yes, there we go. Yay. Yeah. He he just needs you know a series of healing experiences. Yes. Absolutely. Now I don't know if we should talk about the the happy birthday fic by Groot and my witch. Did you have a chance to look at those at all? I did not because I didn't know if it was being read or yeah. Yes, okay. I have not looked at it. It's in five chapters and various ages between seven and fifty. Oh, that's nice. The significant points in his development. It's very well illustrated, of course, with My Witch. It's just, yeah, wonderful stories. Oh, gosh, the picture of Lily doing his makeup is everything to me. Yes. (laughs) In the second chapter. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh, 13. Okay, so it looks like they're all, like, labeled his age. Nice. Mm -hmm. Cool. So we see 7, 13, (laughs) 22, 38, and 50. That's Mm -hmm. so cool. Yeah. I love this. I will definitely yeah. I will definitely be reading this. There's heartwarming things, there's angsty things, there's yeah. I would encourage everyone to look it up and read it. That's we'll have a link on our uh, website as we will for all these fix that we've read. Mm-hmm. So. Oh my gosh, he's holding Draco. I'm losing my mind. These <laughs> illustrations are amazing. Oh my Aren't gosh, they? baby Draco. <gasps> oh, this is just warming my heart. That's cute. So great. <laughs> I'm excited to read it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we talked about presents for, for Snape for Christmas. So I guess we could say birthday wishes. Oh, birthday wishes kind of like I mean it kind of goes hand in hand to possibly like when you create that new year's resolution like kind of that positive outlook on what could be to come in the next year so I feel like that kind of appropriately blends into the thought of yeah like birthday wishes and maybe it's something that he doesn't really conscious he's not consciously aware of that either like goes to bed thinking about you know even though if he doesn't get something physical as far as a gift he gets 
there's he there's still things that his heart like yearns for which is nice so I, think- I like that and like in my story like I said where he made his wish and he said peace and quiet he was just obviously making a joke but he was like he's content and happy in that life so he didn't need to make a wish at all so I think if he was ever in a place where he had that joy and contentment he would be good yeah mm-hmm. those are things he's never had much of in life so I think that would be all he would want and then once he had that I don't think he would want for anything else because he's so aware yeah I just I can see like year after year could be like I wish things were different I wish things were different I wish things were different and then all of a sudden things are different and then it's you know I mean it's just then it yeah. could probably transition to I never want this to end I don't want you know to like like sure. just like mm-hmm. it being very volatile and him being still insecure even though everyone else is like perfectly secure in in that and him eventually reaching the point that I no longer need to make a wish because I have everything I want. And that's just wonderful. (laughs) I'd like to see him able to heal his past traumas. And yes, a good life will do that. I'm just going to imagine he and Harry go to London and he has really good food and they see a really good play and they just have so much fun and he's just genuinely happy. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's all I want for him. So, all right. Well, I guess we have a show. Yeah. And <laughs> a lot of stuff. Lots of goodies. Yeah. Another longy one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As always. So happy, well, birthday, happy birthday, Severus. Happy birthday, Severus. Happy birthday, Severus. And many more to come. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. Well, thank you, Megs and Danpa, for joining me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And this is Snape Centric. And say goodbye. Till next time. Bye. Bye. See you later. <laughs> That's the discussion portion of the show. Thanks to my Chen and Ms. Adams for letting us read their fix on the podcast. And thanks to Dan Puff and Megs for talking with me and sharing their stories. We have links for all these on our Fic Rex page at snapechatpodcast.com. Next, I speak with the awesome Snape creators, My Witch and Groot, about their story, Happy Birthday. It's a collaborative work which was written and illustrated for Snape Case 2019 on LiveJournal. Let's listen in. This is Snape Centric. I'm here with Groot. Hello. And My Witch. Hello. And we're going to talk about this excellent story that they've put together illustrated story called Happy Birthday. And without further ado, let's get started on talking about it. So how did you all get together on this project? Oh my God, it was so random, wasn't it my wage? (laughs) (laughs) It super really was. Yeah, I think uh, the moderator of Snape Case asked me if uh, I would do like a five piece thing for to close the fest that year. And so I was like, yeah, can I have some help from Groot? And she was like, of course. So I think that's how it came about. Yeah. And we had like no time, remember, because I went back and reread the emails and you like kind of slid into my DMs and you went, hey, you want to do this thing? I was like, hell's to the yeah. And then you went, we've got like a week. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then I was like, I think it's due on the 26th. Oh no, wait, it's due on the 21st. And we're like, that's fine. That's fine. Because both of us work really well under pressure and when we are just like like riffing and stuff is when I think 
our powers combine the best, would you say, my witch? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the funniest part about it is that we started into it thinking, oh, this is going to be a comedy because everything we do together. Oh, my God. Yeah, everything we do is a comedy. And we were like, this is going to be so funny. We're going to do this really hilarious thing because each of the categories is a different stage of Snape's life. We'll be like, oh, it'll be so funny. We'll be doing like a, I think we were riffing around. We thought like like a same day. I think initially, and then with like oh, a birthday, that'd be funny. And like, we we're riffing about all this hilarious stuff that we were going to do. I was reading the emails going, ha ha ha. <laughs> and then I went away and wrote this thing overnight. And that was the chapter one. And it was not funny at all. <laughs> and then I emailed it to my witch and went, I don't know what happened, but this came out and um, you kind of liked it, right? Oh, I loved it. I loved it so much. The whole feeling of walking on eggshells that Severus was going through at age seven. It was really tangible. I, I super dug it. And then I think a really interesting part of when I was going back over our conversations that we were having over email is how that one thing then kind of springboarded a lot of discussion we had to say between us about how we would build on some of the themes we were exploring in that particular first chapter. And I was writing another story at the time which is now published on AO3 under time mutable and mutable Such a great story. and uh, you should everybody should read it and everybody. like leave me leave me kudos and shit <laughs> <laughs> and there was a a bit where I'd written about Tobias in that and I'd really done him in a way that he was like handsome and charismatic and kind of dangerous and obviously quite volatile because I thought that would be an interesting take and um I'd shared it with my witch earlier and then she drew this picture of him in that chapter one which kind of set also a lot going in my mind about how how he ended up being the type of person he was why he chose to dress like he did why he walked like he did the kind of um personality that he put on like a pair of clothes every day that got him through each of the categories later on yeah his dad so, yeah. was a good role model in that regard anyway yeah. he- to be a terrifying scary bastard <laughs> yes <laughs> and yeah and when we were talking over the um over the emails we were sort of looking to explore and one of the themes that's going through it is and you I don't know if you've noticed from the pictures like um Severus's relationships with the other people in his life and how he views those relationships and how those people re- views relationships with him and how nothing no relationship is ever easy for him everything is conditional violence and judgment are always around the corner in every single relationship even the one with Lily um the picture that my witch did of her (laughs) (laughs) painting his face with makeup um it's just another every everything on her terms yeah you have to behave the way I love or else yeah and that how that all that kind of stuff was useful for him because later on because he'd spent his life trying to under like from from very young he had to judge how people were feeling on that particular day how volatile they were on that day whether they were a good person on that day a bad person on that day whether they were going to be angry or sad and he learned very quickly to monitor his own behavior in a way that would fit in how people were acting around him and then you can see how that sort of bled through the whole thing until even with those pictures that um, I which drew of Dumbledore giving him the stupid freaking lemon sherbet or even then reaching out of the portrait like no one's ever truly his friend but then again no one's ever truly his enemy in a way it's really anyway those are the kind of stuff we were thinking about when we were writing it that's great how did you 
choose his ages for the chapters? Um, I made him older in the first one. Do you remember that, my witch? But then, um, yeah, Yeah. he was nine. But Toodaloo, who is um, one of, like, another friend of ours who writes amazing stuff as well, and also my witch has done some great stuff with her, is she was at my beta and she read it and was like, hey, seems too old for nine. So we dropped it to seven. And then 13 seemed, I think we were discussing, why would you know, like 13's a real age when you, you know, mm-hmm. hasn't fought with um, Lily yet, but he's been at school long enough. And that, and he also had to pick a time when Lucius was still at the school. Yeah, the, the categories in Snape case are, you know, every 10 years of his life, every decade. And I think we, we went back and forth a little bit on his 20s and ended up on 21 because it was close to right after Lily was killed. Like two and a half months, I think we'd figured it out. Yeah. So he's in a really bad place. And and then the 30s, I think we chose his uh, his year as the headmaster because that mm-hmm. was horrific. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one would have to be pretty specific as to, yeah, where he was at that time. And it does such a wonderful job of portraying that. Like sort of angst. And I think disappointment and rage and, and, and sadness angst, and yes. kind of stuff. And yeah, just wonderfully angsty. Also, like the, the fun of like bringing back Tobias in that chapter where he catches a glimpse of his reflection and he sees his father and he's like, oh, God, I have turned into that monster. I mean, by necessity also, but it's a really hard moment for him. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a very powerful moment. Okay. The style that you use on the illustrations reminds me kind of of illustrations that I saw in books as a youth. Yeah, I I can see that totally. Um, It wasn't a conscious decision, but I think it might have something to do with just how difficult it was to print things back then. (laughs) Everything now is computer and you can resize and do whatever you like, but that was all done by actual human beings and the choices of colors were very limited because of how the printing process worked. And I did use a limited palette because and also I used that really splotchy brush just because I literally didn't have time to do fancy drawings. And I knew I could do them quickly this way and everybody would be like, oh, it's just a style. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think that might be part of why that has kind of a retro look to it. Yeah, it's, it's really, really neat. Yeah, I like, and I think I thought maybe it was quite blue, the first one, the first chapter wasn't there. Um, it was kind of muted and blue because it was winter and it was that's that was my memory. And then there was that splash of colour with his dad and all in the black with the jaunty swerve his hips. And then right to the end, it was quite dark in the hallway when he's looking at himself in the mirror. And then it's very bright, the last one, right, the last chapter, which is. Yeah. Yes, it, it really shows kind of the change, I think, that he's gone through. Seven-year-old Severus is there with his dad, who is just gorgeous. <laughs> he is quite fine, quite bangable. I mean, he's horrific, <laughs> let's be honest. So I spent a lot of time um, when I was young sort of doing teacher's aid work for children who were not able to live at home because of emotional and physical abuse. And what always struck me was that no matter how horrible their parents were, uh, you know, if they had cigarette burns on their arms, like scars and stuff, parents had either mental health issues or drug abuse issues or just um, people that had babies that maybe shouldn't have had babies. They loved their parents. They loved them so much and they just wanted to be with them no matter because that's all they knew and they were so young. They just loved them anyway. And a lot of the time when people write kind of, 
like Snape as a kid, the parents were always like either really good or really like his mum's either perfect or like, you know, Madonna or like awful type thing. You know, she's either really awful or really great. And, and Tobias is always really awful. And I thought, um, oh, except in Inks Games, where it was interesting. I think I wanted to put something where it kind of gave an insight into like a good day in a family that is not always a good day. So that while you read it, and you were like, this is a really fun time he's having, but that you were always thinking, well, this is going to end really badly, but you were never quite sure whether it was going to be good or bad. And just so you had that feeling like little sort of seven-year-old Snape did in that of that things are, are volatile and can change at any moment and nothing should be taken. Happiness is not taken for granted. Oh, for sure. I, there is just the feeling of anxiety reading through that is, you know, just, yeah, walking on eggshells. And he's so into reading people I think you mentioned that before but he reads his parents yeah it's become like it's a protection measure that he learns really young and and Marich and I discussed this over email it's a protection measure that he learned to survive his his parents which then later we talked to in the other chapters where he can read Lily he can read the fact that he can, he knows he can't walk from his dorm to the Slytherin common room he knows the boys will be waiting for him he knows that when Voldemort's Voldemort and when he's Riddle, he knows how to behave in those situations to keep himself safe. But then there's other times where because of his own self-esteem and his own desperate need to be to belong, he believes people when he perhaps shouldn't. And that's like, I think, the Malfoy examples, like Lucius giving him the pin and later giving him the clothes and stuff like that. So even as the reader is supposed to have a feeling of like that first reaction of like, well, Lucius is a better friend than any of them. <laughs> I think we said that. I think someone made a comment <laughs> like that. Online. I'm like, Lucius is a far better friend or he's better than Albus or whatever. And you're like, well, none of them are good. They're all horrible and using him as a tool. It was really, it was really great too, to like have uh, Groot's words to draw to, like in the first chapter, that walk in on eggshells feeling that Severus had. I tried to put into the drawings, even as he's looking like adoringly up at his dad, in the fish and chip shop where his dad looks like he could turn on a dime and just put that cigarette out on him. Oh my God, he looks so angry in that picture. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so, I don't know, I was just trying to keep that going, you know, that whole, not everything is such a nightmare for this poor kid. And he looks so sweet in it, right? And I think that's, I found that really good, how you, as the years went on, your pictures kind of were like, like he was this innocent little kid and then he's looking a bit, you know, especially at the end of the 13, he's looking up at Lucius and kind of looks a bit like overwhelmed and stuff. But then even to the that look on his face when he's holding Draco on his lap, which is confused and thinking about Lily and Harry. And then right to the end when he, near the end, he kind of makes it, he finds out about Sirius being innocent and then decides not to share that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was an interesting choice because, well, that's probably my headcanon that he didn't know when he went to the shrieking shack and you know found Sirius there yeah it's like well oh he just doesn't know which is kind of yeah it's I think one of the things that my wife and I've talked about with other stories because we kind of discuss a lot of other people's fix and um she's like wrecked me heaps of awesome stuff to read is I like a character like we like a snake that's not actually good person and that's I think what makes I don't know if JKR just accidentally wrote him like that or actually purposely did is like rereading it Snape makes a lot of choices that are selfish or awful and that type of stuff and I wanted to put one in which was like it wasn't 
he that was something pure selfishness just for himself as a like a petty revenge thing like like that's what you get you messed with me as a kid now I'm not going to help you I, it is within my power to help you but I won't yeah. Well, after seven years of torture, it's certainly understandable. I don't think I would walk across the street to help the people who bullied me when I was a kid. Exactly. I mean, I probably, I'd wave at them and say like, I'm sorry, you're in a car accident. (laughs) Sorry, you're in prison now. Whoops. I see your, um, yeah, your next question is something we discussed earlier about the contrast between Lucius and Dumbledore handling the birthday. Yeah, that's another conscious choice. Yeah. I want, yeah, we wanted people to read. Lucius is an, as a different character too, hence and that picture of um, Draco on Snape's lap, which is a awesome picture, even though um, my witch is like, oh, my God, I hate drawing babies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over it now. <laughs> you've, driven, you've drawn so many, so many M-Preg stories. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but, <laughs> like, another one of those things, like, with his parents, is like, if you sort of read it and you go, they love him do they love him or do they not and Lucius is a weird one too I kind of wanted the people to read it and I think the pictures that Moritz has drawn as well it's it's not clear if they're really friends or not right because it appears they are but yet yeah I feel like Severus is always going to be on the outside even if both of them thought they were friends he would still not feel like he was really in there you know what I mean yeah I mean he doesn't even know he still didn't you know he doesn't know he's secret about Lily or or even anything like that doesn't know but still praises his him as well gives him like the robes he's obviously fond enough of um draco and then but all the while snape's sitting there collecting information to report to dumbledore so yeah it, he almost sounds callous about mm-hmm. yeah yeah about draco and and lucius yeah when he said when he reported back and he said his greatest weak, weakness is his family like so he's just gone he sat there with the baby on his lap and thought about how precious babies are and precious children are to their parents and has given that to Dumbledore as a leverage of over Lucius. I don't know. I just like to, to write in because I think, as, as, as Moish and I have discussed, and that comes later when she draws him as quite harsh in that second last one, is that in order to do what he did, you have to be a very particular compartmentalised type of person who can be harsh and who can make those clinical sociopathic type decisions about how people's secrets can be used against them right yeah everything in his life like molded him into the exact person who could do that job that he had yeah you had you had uh, asked me too in the questions um about dumbledore's hair oh my god <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, basically he's uh, he's very influenced by flock of seagulls and uh what was that tv show with uh, don johnson where they would advice yeah, Miami Vice. So he's got his Miami oh. Vice robes on. And that oh was. My God. Oh my God, I screamed. That, that but you had fine. a first version. You had a first version of Snape's outfit in that as well. That was so 80s. Was like, like I, I cried. Like I nearly cried and laughed when I first saw it. It was in the leather outfit from Thriller, wasn't it? It was so funny. But I wanted him to, to kind of be like, molding into his um his tobias sort of side and so giving him kind of that tobias look there i thought was we ultimately decided was probably a better choice Mm -hmm. kind of working into his uniform that he uh, yeah wears after that so okay i still think sev looks like alice cooper in chapter (laughs) two oh he is yeah it reminds me a bit of alice cooper in chapter two as well yeah absolutely that was something that um was definitely on my mind when I was doing it. I wanted him to have a, a very extreme sort of gothy look. 
because I didn't think Lily would do anything by halves in that department. She got him in the makeup room. <laughs> and which, and you know, I remember we were talking about because, like, you really <laughs> have, like, you really fairly and squarely hit that 70s, like, the, so she would paint him like a 70s glam rock type Alice Cooper type. And then the outfits mm-hmm. that you had. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. The bell bottoms. <laughs> that was so horrific. Oh, they looked so smarmy and awful. I hated them in that picture. Yeah, they're they they were definitely period. Yeah, <laughs> bell bottoms. I I remember those. I, I did not have to Google that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a slacks with the seam down the front, so they're permanently uh, pressed. Oh my god. Thirteen year old books are worst. They are horrific. Yeah. Leg. <laughs> So Lily is making him over, which I guess is why he was, she was putting makeup on him. Mm. But it, does it signify their real relationship, the dynamic? Oh, 100%. As my witch said before, like, she wants to do it, so he just doesn't. So his he, relationships are not like symbiotic give and take things. Relationships are you mold yourself to what the other person wants and then just try, try as hard as you can not to piss him off. I think her reaction... Would, would be similar to Tobias were he to like say no I don't want to do this uh, you know no Lily I don't want to do this you know she's not going to be like oh okay that's cool you know <laughs> she's going to be horrible to him and he knows that so he's like yeah feather my hair like David Cassidy that's fine and then Malfoy kind of seems like he's shining a light on him yeah, yeah well yeah yeah which is he's recruiting him he's grooming him yeah. to the Death Eaters so this is how it starts, right? He says, we've recognized how good you are and here's a little thing. And he knows that he, obviously it would be so obvious that he was poor and lonely and that's exactly the type of kid that you look for. Yeah. And it's interesting because like Tobias and Lily and Malfoy are all very attractive people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having them, you know, shining their reflected glory and light down on him. I'm sure he feels, you know what I mean? Like it's. Yeah. It's a good feeling. Oh, yeah. He wants that, you know, that kind of like, I'm with the most gorgeous blonde boy in school right now. Yeah. <laughs> he just yeah. gave me a cool present. So, yeah. But, yeah, that must have been the first time anybody talked to him that way. Yeah. And I think the story tried to hint at his, despite it all, his own beliefs and his skills. So when Lily was going on about how amazing she's at potions, how she's going to be head girl and blah, 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 blah. And he's like knowing as he knows that adults say lots of things that aren't true because he's, he learned that from a very young age, but also he, he in deep down thinks that he's better than her, but he would never say it. So I think that step of Lucius saying it has made, that made him think, Oh, hang on. <laughs> yeah. It's really the, the, First kind of like, you know, real, you are awesome sort of situation he's been in. Even though, uh, you know, I can imagine him thinking, you know, he's pretty much an adult and I probably shouldn't be believing what he's saying, but I think it's so appealing that he wants to. And I think that's that's the start. He's still young. And then as as it goes on and he en- ended up in all, like, because I think in canon, oh, he was what, oh, Death Eater for a year, maybe, maybe two, like not very long, really. So it doesn't take him very long to go like, oh, actually, this isn't great. <laughs> yeah, it's not the right fit. Yeah. And then again, everything in the story, uh, like one of the questions you asked was the kind of like the bit of him walking in the. Oh, right. In chapter four. In, 
yeah, in the Forbidden Forest, which is his dissociation, which he learned when he was a kid. Um, because when his father would abuse him, he would dissociate from the situation. And sometimes he would dissociate and imagine he was at Willie's place. And then when he went into Hogwarts, he then would dissociate and imagine he was back at Hogwarts rather than at home until that Hogwarts became a place which he didn't want to be either. And so when something really bad happens, he just lets his mind go away. And that was um, my witch kind of capturing that ability that he had to dissociate himself from a really horrific situation to something. And I was like, you know, and when she drew that picture, I was like, oh my God, that's so perfect. It was this yes. <laughs> freedom peace kind of thing, which was at odds with the rest of the, the story. Yeah. So all these things kind of that, as my witch said earlier, that he developed through his horrific life. It just reminded me too, of like in the very first chapter where he kind of picks up that saying something to the lady in the chip shop yeah. might work out in his favor and you know, his father complimenting him on that skill, you know, making him want to get better at it. And yeah, his natural legitimacy or whatever. Yeah. I just like the way that's threaded throughout the story. Yeah. Beautifully done. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is crude after all. <laughs> Fans self. With wads of the, all the wads of cash we get from our fan and writing. <laughs> Wait a minute. I can't buy a car with kudos. <laughs> it's all right. We do okay. it for the love. The love and the lols. Kudos books. <clears throat> yeah. And I think one of the things you really captured, um, my wish, as I said earlier, which was like the full circle of him kind of ending up having to embrace like and even when he discusses it in that sort of oh, chapter four or whatever it is when he becomes his father because he's ended up having to find deep down that awful violent cold part of himself that was built a long time ago when he idolized his father he has to use that persona to survive that year but yet being confronted by that I think um, especially in the in the presence of a child that would have reminded him of himself as a child was confronting. Yeah. Yeah. That is such a powerful moment. And it's interesting too, because like as a reader, you're kind of in that walking on eggshells point of view again, because even though we know the severs from the story, we don't know what he's going to do to that boy. I mean, like, because he has like switched into monster mode and I don't know, there's just so much great tension throughout the whole thing. Which is like, like we said before, very odd for us because we're usually about like fun and laughing <laughs> so this came from a really I don't know <laughs> this is brewing under underneath everything yeah, yeah, maybe I got a lot yeah we got a lot happening we got a lot of stuff to get through in therapy I think mate <laughs> yeah I don't know I like it because um so many so many people are seen as one-dimensional and even you know when in the phantoms people like fight about the mortars were great the mortars were horrible. Snape was great. Snape was horrible. Lily was great. Lily was, Lily was horrible. Right, et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I, um, I think it's good to take a journey through where people are built by their own experiences, just driven by their own needs and desires and stuff like that. So I think, you know, like what Snape even wants, I, we hope one of the threads to it is, I guess, you know, acceptance and love, right? And that's the bird within him um, yeah. that he wants and it wants to be free and, and and have that kind of be seen, have his authentic self seen and, and appreciated. But, you know. That makes me think too, like, I think in the story, you compared his love for his father, like that golden bird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Compared his love 
his mother like a warm bath. Yeah. And so in the last chapter, when he gets into the ocean and it's like a warm bath, and then yeah. again, when the bird starts to sing again. <laughs> oh my God, it's true. I might need laughing because I was like, man, we put a lot of stuff together in like a week. Right. Like, yeah, there, there is so much. And also in chapter four, you talk about Voldemort and how his he was Tom Riddle. His monster self yeah. is Voldemort. Yeah. And then also Tobias and Severus also having their, their selves and their monster personas. Yeah. That is so interesting. Yeah. I really wanted, and I think even my which prompted, I think, that discussion way back when I was rereading our emails between each other, kind of to reference that again later um, about how there is not just duality to ourselves, but we are people in different contexts and stuff like that. And, you know, we, Ray finds what it did a great job was the no, no nose Voldy, but at the end of the day, somebody has to be an interesting, charismatic person for them to follow. Like nobody just turns up to someone who's like, by the way, I just want to murder everyone. Like everyone's like, yeah, that sounds great. Like, <laughs> there has to be, some, yes. I mean, maybe. Yes. Like, but it wouldn't be like that many. Like it certainly wouldn't be somebody like Lucius who craves more than just murdering random people like he craves power he craves he wants he wants to be seen and valued and and to be the best and that type of stuff so he wouldn't be drawn in by somebody just wanting to stub randos or kill randos kill kill a few muggles he he would be drawn to beauty and power i'm just like as yeah i don't know if it's canon but i always have seen tom riddle as somebody who could like see what it is the people he's speaking to want most and then play off of that they're like oh sever you want recognition and power and in my head canon he's the one who you know helps him get his potions mastery not someone from the school because he knows that that would make severus happy and feel good about himself and beholden to him and so forth in you know i just feel like tom riddle's a great manipulator and yeah mm-hmm. could definitely probably even talk me into joining the death eaters you can meet severus state yeah i'd be like really (laughs) (laughs) and you get this cool mask i'm like oh i'm sold hello (laughs) you do have to murder a lot of people oh okay Mm -hmm. well but i get a mask (laughs) (laughs) and robes well i mean i'm sorry i'm sold yeah (laughs) but i think like i don't know one of the things we hoped came through was that Dumbledore himself has duality too right oh yes like he's like how you know how are you going and I like tell you know basically report back and then he's like oh it's my birthday he's like oh yeah you go happy birthday whatever <laughs> a little pocket lint on it don't mind <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then in chapter four my witch you show Dumbledore's portrait as like he's trying to reach oh my out god I cried to- oh my god comfort severus yeah that was certainly my intention it's funny because a couple of people in the comments were like is he laughing and i'm like i know he's a jerk but uh i don't see him as laughing <laughs> <All right. laughs> but yeah i feel like you know particularly after he's a portrait dumbledore more clearly sees just what exactly he's put this guy through and yeah there's nothing about it that's easy and i i think he'd be pretty inhuman to not feel yeah pretty bad about it and i think what the other thing that my witch did is so the first four chapters at the end the last picture is always somebody putting their hand on his shoulder yeah that's right oh. about that. so his father's putting his hand on his shoulder at the chippy then it's lucius putting his hand on his shoulder and then it's 
Dumbledore's portrait. Oh no, who is it? Yeah. Yeah, Dumbledore. And, and it's then... Dumbledore and then the Dumbledore's portrait. Then at the end, they're just right. shagging in a hammock. So there's, there's a whole lot of hands <laughs> and a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. Started with the shoulder. So, yes, we, we get to chapter five and he's at age 50. Yeah. Is the loud clothing that he's <laughs> kind of put into, is that like in contrast to the black uniform that? he wears yeah absolutely it's like a a visual representation of how different his life is i think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right he wakes up in a much nicer bed than in the first picture wearing an absolutely ridiculous t-shirt and (laughs) which he made up my witch if i remember correctly i can't i'd put something else and you changed it to that and i was like oh my god that's far superior i must now pretend i made that up Yeah, I mean, and you can even kind of tell in his face that he's like, I'm annoyed, but also really happy inside. Yeah. And when we um when we first were planning out the years, my wish was like, wouldn't it be great if the last one we never actually name the person or the gender? Yes. So um everyone can put whoever they want in. And I remember having this discussion with Toodles, um, Tulu when I sent her a chapter like I tried with days and theirs and that type of stuff. And She's like amazing on grammar. She was like, I can see what you're trying to do here. It's kind of grammatically a bit wild. Um, it doesn't follow a lot of rules. Uh, so she made a few suggestions, but I was like, I said, no, that's how we want it. Like we, I don't want to, we, we definitely want it to be. And, and you can see my witch even drew, drew the last one, the last picture in a way that you still really can't right. say yeah or no. That is such a wonderful way to end it. Everyone can just ship their own ship, man. Yes. No ship judgment here. Absolutely not. Except it's, it's, it's maybe. My, my ship is anything that Severus is involved in. <laughs> Whatever he wants to do, I want to read about it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't go through the questions the way I wrote them, but. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. I what I'm wondering is if there's anything else that we should have covered. Well, the one we didn't, I don't know if you meant for this particular story or just in general, was how um my witch and I actually came to start collaborating at all. Oh yes. Which I found I found that as well way back in like was it 2017? I think so, yeah. So we're obsessed with this amazing, and I think you actually interviewed Zigadanus um for Ink Stains, and we're obsessed with that. Like we're obsessed with it. And we're in the comments and I think I was just on my usual fucking shit and just writing all these stupid things about what should have happened in Harry Potter or something like that. And then we were just riffing and then... Maybe we should take this out of the comments of a very serious, beautiful story and take it to like a more private place where we can be convenient in peace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then she's like, oh, like, do you want to work on something funny? So that's when we started to work on Redux, which is just a ridiculous take on the harry potter and the philosopher's stone oh no what's it called here sorcerer's stone yeah but anyway and i guess we've just kind of like hung around ever since right yeah we've done some fun things together more coming up oh my god we've done some fun things together oh my god there is a good one coming up <laughs> do you want to tell us about it it's no more angst well we can't man it's another fest one so yeah it'll it'll be uh i think posted towards the end of january or something in snake case but watch for it very watch for it <laughs> we're very full of ourselves and we think it's hilarious so. okay <laughs> i think you'll find we're honest and great critics oh yes 
Yeah, you can shoot us a link when it does come out and that way the listener will know where to go. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> we would say like and subscribe, guys. Well, that's really the best way is to subscribe to your favorite authors and artists. Truth. I mean, that's how I found Ink Stains was following you, my witch. So Oh, that's cool. Yes. That is cool. And that yeah, that's such an amazing story. Oh my god, it's the best disgustingly good it makes me sick it's too so good (laughs) (laughs) i always want to read the chapter with a notepad so that i can actually really remember and think about like what she's doing there because she's such a incredible writer and nothing is thrown in there without a lot of intent um yeah it's amazing i know and this yeah and then you read the comments and you're like (laughs) yeah I, i used to have such a complex about it because i don't have a background in literature and you know and I felt like I was just making really inane comments but I don't know she's taught me a lot <laughs> there is there is no, nothing but love and acceptance in the Inkstains book club comment section yeah for sure and I think you know writers and artists too love to get a comment even if it's just all like oh I like that I think everything has to be broken down analytically or anything yeah exactly it's just, yeah it's just you know it's just really nice no in particular, getting into fandom drawing has been just literally life-changing because I am a professional artist and have been for like 30 years. And um, there is nowhere close to the sort of acceptance and appreciation that you get in fandom. Um, at work, it's always like, oh, change this and these other 16,000 things. Um, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. And never a thank you, this is great. So <laughs> when I fell into fandom, I was just like, oh my God, this is like the greatest place ever. And the comments are so kind and it really buoyed me up. And for the first time in like 15 years or so, I was finding myself drawing for fun and I'm still drawing for fun. And it's really been huge for me. So thank you, everyone. Well, I don't know. I guess feel I feel privileged that I get to see you because <laughs> it's so, ama- so amazing, right? There is a bill coming. I mean, that's fine. And, you know, I, I shall pay it in fee. <laughs> oh, perfect. I like that. <laughs> the only thing I like. Well, thank you for joining me again, um, Groot. No problem. And my witch. My pleasure. And we will link to this amazing story that you really need to check out. We'll be talking again soon, I hope. Awesome. Nothing will be as angsty as this story, I can promise you. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing wrong with angst, you know. It's got its place. I know, but I very, I I love angsty, but I'm so rarely right at myself. Well, it did end with a big fat happy ever after, so. Oh, it sure did. Well, then that's my, that's how I live my life, man. Well, thank you very much for inviting us to talk about this story and art. It was beautiful. It flashed me back. It was a, it was a really fun one that we did That's together. That's great. Yeah. It's been three years. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. This one was 2019. It was 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Like January. Lies. <laughs> Again, thank you for joining me and we'll, we'll talk soon. I, I hope. So. Okay. okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Goodbye, listeners. <laughs> I had a great time talking with Myrich and Groot, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. 
Go to our website and see selected images from Happy Birthday. Better yet, follow the link to the story itself on AO3. Go to our FICREX page to find links to all the stories from this show, snapechatpodcast.com. Thanks to Nix and Maria for their behind-the-scenes help. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Tumblr and Twitter, email us, or leave a voicemail. Be sure to check out Care of Magical Shippers podcast. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay snarky.